0: Hebrews 12 and verse number 2. The Bible said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's read verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us these next few moments. I ask you to give us liberty. Lord, we want to thank you for letting the youth choir sing tonight. We want to thank you, dear Lord, for uh, the time of fellowship that we've had. And I pray now, God, that you'll just move in a mighty way. Lord, we didn't come just to go through the mechanics of worship tonight or formality, but I pray that it'd be a reality in our life. I ask that you would speak to us and speak through us these next few moments, and we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to look at verse number two tonight and I know it's a familiar text. We've read this verse and heard it preached from many times. But I want you to notice that when we come to this verse here, immediately in verse number two, we're instructed to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Amen? We find that phrase They're looking unto Jesus. And when you think about that word looking, it, it only occurs here and it simply means looking away from all else. Amen? In other words, uh, we're to look away from all else and we're to look unto Jesus. It also means to look, uh, uh, it means looking at that which fills the heart and so when the writer is saying looking unto Jesus he's talking about we're to lay aside every weight in this life we're to lay aside anything that that holds us back from keeping our eyes uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ you know tonight if you look to yourself uh, uh, you'll be deceived isn't that right if you look to others you'll be disappointed if you look to this world you'll be defeated if you look to the devil you'll be destroyed but if you look to Jesus thank God you'll be delivered. Amen. I'm telling you who we're looking at tonight determines everything about how we're going to look and our outlook on this walk of life. When you look at verse number two, I want you to notice here that the writer mentions three things. Uh, I want you to see that when we look to Jesus in this passage of scripture, uh, that we see these three things. First of all, we see his character. As the Bible says in in verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Uh, That is the character of our Lord. He's the author and he's the finisher. That word author is the same word for the word leader. Amen. And that word finisher means to be completed. In other words, he's the one that leads us uh, and he's the one that completes us. Amen. I'm glad we can look to him. He'll always lead us in the right direction. He'll always complete everything. You know, Remember that old song, Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in your life. I'm telling you, he is, as the songwriter said, all I need. Amen. Christ is all that I need. And so when we look in this verse, we see his character. And then when we look in this verse, not only do we see his character, but we see his cross. Look what the Bible says here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Amen. There's the cross. I like that old song at the the cross at the cross uh, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart was rolled away and there by faith I received my sight uh, and now I am happy all the day. Thank God for the old rugged cross. Uh, If you want to be encouraged, uh, if you look to Jesus, uh, you will see his character but do you realize you cannot look to Jesus uh, and not see his cross, amen? Uh, He is uh, the Christ uh, of Calvary and so we see his character character. We see his cross Uh, and then when we come to verse number three or verse number two, there's a third thing here. We see his crown uh, as the Bible says and it's set down at the right hand of of the throne of God. Amen. We see his crown. When you look at this verse, uh, you see his character, you see his cross uh, and then you see his crown. It's interesting to note that the cross uh, comes before the crown amen you know there's a lot of people in this life they want the crown but they don't want to carry the cross amen if Jesus had to have the cross before he could have the crown then brother you and I have got to have the cross in our life before we can receive the crown amen when you think about these three things that the writer talks about his character his cross and his crown when you think about his character it tells us who Jesus is When you think about his cross, it tells us what Jesus did. When you think about his crown, it tells us where Jesus is at. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. When you think about his character in our mind, it fills our thoughts of his person. When you think about his cross in our mind, it fills our thoughts with his passion. Oh, the love of God that he would love us enough that he'd be willing to lay down his life for you and I. When you think about his crown, it fills our thoughts with his position that he is high above all others, amen? He is at the right hand of the throne of God. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying if you get those three things in your mind tonight, it changes your outlook. Uh, When we look at the character of Christ, uh, when we look at the cross of Christ, uh, when we look at the crown of Christ, the crowning of Christ, uh, it changes our perspective. Uh, We know that he's on the throne tonight, amen? I'm telling you, if you know Jesus uh, and you believe in what Jesus did uh, and you know where Jesus is at, and you're resting in that, then thank God you can have victory in your Christian life. Amen. When we come to this text tonight, these are three great truths in this one verse. But what I wanna draw your attention to is when you get to verse number three, notice this. The writer says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. When the writer leaves verse number two and he begins to pin down verse number three, he reflects back to one of those three things that he mentioned in verse number two, and it's the cross. I think it's interesting tonight because if you think about the word endured, it's in verse number two, and it's in verse number three. Notice in verse number two, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Verse number three, for consider him that endured such contradiction. When you think about that word endured, he links it in connection with the cross. It doesn't have anything to do with the character. It doesn't anything, have anything to do with the crown, the crowning of Christ. It has to do with the cross. Uh, Calvary and Jesus endured Calvary. He endured the old rugged cross. Uh, he talks that word endured. It, it, it has to do with the pain of the cross uh, and the penalty of the cross. It has to do with the pressure of the cross and that's really what I want to preach on a few minutes tonight. I want to preach on Calvary, the place of pressure, amen? Calvary, the place of pressure because when we look at verse 2 and we look to Jesus, we see his character, we see his crowning but when we see his cross in verse number 2, we're thinking about him enduring that cross and there is no amount of words in the English vocabulary that could ever do justice to the amount of pressure that our Lord was under when he was on the cross of Calvary. Amen. I'm telling you the pressure that Jesus felt in the garden was the very pressure that he had to face when he was on the cross. But he faced that pressure and he fought that pressure and thank God he finished that pressure. He carried the weight. He got under the load. He bore the burden. He carried the pressure and because of that thank God brother Mike you and I'll never know the weight of the cross we'll never know the pressure of the cross we'll never know the burden of the cross the weight of sin is lifted when a sinner gets saved because Jesus carried the sin of every man woman boy and girl and because he nailed it to the cross under the weight and the pressure of the cross he won the victory and when a sinner gets saved they receive the victory we don't win it We just receive it, hallelujah, amen. Because victory was won at Calvary. See, I'm not doing anything to keep myself saved. I couldn't keep myself saved 10, I couldn't, listen, I couldn't keep myself saved one second, one millisecond. I couldn't, neither could you. I can't save myself. I couldn't keep myself saved. I'm telling you, listen, I'm not working for victory. I'm not trying to get to heaven. I'm not climbing up the rough side of the mountain. I don't sing the old song, surely if anybody makes it, Lord, surely I will. I'm not going on a hope so or a think so or a maybe so, but thank God victory was won at Calvary. I'm not working for it. I'm not working toward it, but thank God we're working from it, amen. He paid a debt I did not owe, he paid a debt, a debt I could not pay. He owe, I owed a debt I could not pay, he paid a debt he did not owe and thank God he won the victory for us, amen. And Paul said, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are probably somebody sitting here tonight, you, you, live, in the, you live in the doubting uh, stage, you can't get victory over your salvation. You're always doubting your salvation. What you need to do is quit trying to be saved and start trusting. Amen. Amen. Salvation, you have to repent to be saved, but you also have to believe the gospel. Amen. And repentance, the only thing you can do in repentance is confess, amen? Come clean with God and acknowledge and take sides with God against your own self. And if you're willing to repent and confess, I'm a sinner, then you've got to trust Jesus Christ to do the rest, amen? I think about 1 John 1 and verse nine, said confess uh, uh, that if we confess our sins, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But think about this. Look at that verse when you go home. There's only one thing in that verse you can do and I can do. You know what that is? Confess our sins, amen? I'm telling you, that's all we can do is confess our sins. Lord, I'm a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I deserve to go to hell. I know I'm a sinner. That's the only thing I can do with my sin is confess it, but if I'll confess it, thank God he'll take care of the rest because he already did, amen? He won the victory at Calvary, amen? Amen? When we come to this text tonight and we think about Jesus here, how that he bore the pressure of Calvary. I think about the pressure that he was under. I want you to see three things and be through tonight. First of all, I want you to notice in this text here the attitude toward the pressure that he faced. The Bible said in verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus, when he was on the cross, the pressure has never been more greater than it was at Calvary. Beyond the pressure and the agony of the cross, you know what Jesus saw? He saw joy. How did he see that joy? The Bible says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith tonight. Jesus looked beyond the cross and he saw the joy that was set before him. He saw it by faith. You say, oh, but he was God and he was, but he was man. And I remind you when he was on the cross, uh, he was not a superpower on the cross. Uh, He was a sovereign God, but he bore the cross as a man. He bore the cross in humanity. He bore the cross in humility. Jesus suffered like no man has ever suffered in this world. And on the cross, the pressure of that cross was so great, but he looked beyond the agony. He looked beyond the suffering, he looked beyond the pressure and through the eye of faith, you know what he did? He saw the joy that had been set before him. I'm telling you friend, to live by faith means this, it means to live in complete dependence upon God. It means to live in communion with God. It means to live in obedience with God. It means to live a life of assurance and confidence in an unseen hand and an unseen life and that's what Jesus did. He looked beyond the cross He saw my fault, but he also saw my need, amen. He looked beyond the fault of me and the fault of you and he saw the need and the joy that was set before him. He saw it through faith, hallelujah. The faith of Christ. The just shall live by faith. Jesus saw the joy. What was the joy that was set before our savior? It was the joy that he would knew that he would come out of the tomb according to Psalms chapter 16. It was the joy of knowing, my friend, that he would be exalted in heaven's glory, Psalms 114 verse one. It's the joy of knowing that, thank God, that he would complete the Father's will, that he would please the Father. It was the joy of knowing that present believers would one day stand in the presence of his Father in glory. That was the joy that was set before him. The attitude of the cross, in spite of the pressure, Jesus had an attitude of joy. You say, Brother Gravely, what's that got to do with me and you? A whole lot tonight. Because in this life, we face pressure. In this life, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager, it doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad, it doesn't matter uh, who you are tonight, if you're single or married, or it doesn't matter what your status is in society, it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank, whether you've got a good job or a not so good job, none of those things, uh, I'm listen, none of those things really matter within themselves. The truth of the matter is we live in a world that is constantly under pressure, amen? This world is a pressure cooker. You think about all the, the storms and you think about all the, uh, the tornadoes and, and, and all the storms that come up uh, you know what that is? Uh, it's earth the Bible says groaning within itself because it's under a curse uh, and this world feels the pressure of sin's curse uh, and no matter who you are we live in a sin cursed world and we live in sin cursed bodies uh, and so every day we're living under that pressure you see that's going to be one of the joys of heaven when we get to the other side not just that we're going to have a glorified body but for the first time in eternity, we won't have one complaint. We won't have one pressure. There won't never be another hilltop. We'll never walk through another valley. We'll never see another storm cloud. We'll never cross another desert. There'll never be another heartache. We'll never face another headache. There'll never be another sleepless night. There'll never be another tear that'll fall from our eye. We'll never know another sorrow. They'll live in a land. We'll live in a land where there is no shadows. There'll never be no suffering. There'll never be no pain. I'm telling you, there'll never be no worrying. no one will ever fret about anything. I'm talking about the pressure's gonna be lifted, friend. We're gonna live with Jesus throughout eternity. We're gonna serve God in a land where there is no sin, there is no devil. I feel good in my soul now, amen. I'm just simply saying, but until then, let's keep an attitude of gratitude. Let's be joyful. Let's be happy. Let's be thankful. Serving God is the best thing that ever happened to any of us. Amen. A lot of times we get the molly grubs. We belly ache. I'm saying we tonight. It's easy to whine, it's easy to complain, but we've got it better than anyone on planet earth right now. Do you know that? There's not another country in the world as terrible as it is right now to all of us. I'm still glad I live in America, don't you? I wouldn't trade America for Russia. I wouldn't. Pray. I mean, if you say, "Well, what if God called you to be a missionary?" Then I'd have the heart to go. What I'm talking about tonight. I wouldn't listen, God's been good to us in this country. He's been better to us than what we deserve. Everybody sitting here tonight probably has a good job, I would say. If you don't have one, you can get one, amen. I saw a man holding up a sign the other day said, I'll work for food. I said, Why don't you just go work? It's a whole lot easier, amen. Stand there holding that sign. Now, I mean, listen, that's a lot of work if you ask me. I'd just go get a job. Cut some grass, amen. At least you're moving. But I'm just simply saying this. Uh, that God has been good to us uh, we don't have any reason to feel sorry for ourselves sometimes and you know it really isn't this way here at Bible and I praise God for that but I preach on it so that it never will be but sometimes out on the road I, you be been a good service and people be testifying and somebody get up and kill at graveyard dead I just want to throw my handkerchief at them You know? And they'll just get up and whine and and complain. And and I'm sitting there thinking, you got you got clothes on your back. You got shoes on your feet. You're fifty pounds overweight, so we know you're not starving. God's been good to you. You're in your right mind. You're saved. You don't, you don't want me to get up here and whine and play the old violin of how, how bad I've got it and how hard I've had it. No, I'm telling you, friend, God's been good to me. He's always somebody got it far worse than what I have. I really, listen, I, I've got complaints, but if I gave them, you'd just say you're getting what's coming to you anyway, amen? I'm telling you, don't do any good to complain about anything. God, God has been blessed to us and we ought to have a good attitude. I'm just saying if Jesus can go the cross, and look beyond the pain, the agony and the suffering and find joy you and I can look through this day we can look through tomorrow and say Lord you've been good to me I'm telling you you want to change somebody's life you want to be a blessing to people around you just put a smile on your face and just live every day enjoying the goodness and the blessings of God is that right tonight? I see sometimes I see people in church and uh, i tell you, it takes holy boldness to go up and shake their hand because they look like they've ate gunpowder. Now, not y'all, okay? I just wonder why people that are saved have to come to church so miserable all the time. You ever seen people like that? Well, I had a bad day at work, but you got work. Amen. Why did you have a bad day? Beats a cross, don't it? Beats sleeping under a bridge. Brother Gravely, you don't understand the pressure. No, I don't understand understand the pressure you're under. You don't understand the pressure that I'm under. But none of us understands the pressure that Jesus was under when he took the weight of our sin and the weight of our cross. I remind you, it wasn't his cross. It wasn't his crown. It was my crown. It was my cross. And Jesus took it all. He got under my pressure. And the attitude he had, he said, I'll gladly bear your load. That ought to be the attitude. Attitude of every Christian. We see somebody that needs help. We ought to pick them up and help them along the way. We ought to be willing to bear other men's burdens, but we must be willing to bear our own burden tonight. The pastor, the Sunday school teacher, the deacon can pray for you and with you, but you have to bear your own burden, don't you? The attitude of the pressure that he faced, and then notice the areas of the pressure he faced. I, when I looked at verse number two, I noticed the, the first area was the suffering. He endured what? The cross. When you think about the cross, one word comes to mind and that's suffering. The cross meant suffering. When a man bore his cross, he knew what it meant, the agony, the pain, Jesus, the area of pressure that Jesus felt at Calvary the place of pressure was he felt it through the suffering the, hand, the hands that were pierced the, the feet that were pierced I think about his side even though he, had, he was already in heaven they pierced the side of Jesus uh, he was already gone but we know that the, the piercings of our Savior we think about the, they spit upon him they, they beat him the Bible says a band of, of Roman soldiers was when he, anywhere from 400 to 600 men Jesus was surrounded by some of these uh, men that knew uh, all about brutality. They had no mercy. They had no compassion on him. The angry mob stood on the outside. Uh, layers of hatred. The religious mob on the outside of that. He heard as they as they made the remarks, uh, oh listen, you think about the suffering of our Savior. How that his intricles were turned inside out. The scourging post alone. Uh, uh, the history says that many men gnawed their tongue off at the, at the scourging post because uh, uh, they were in so much pain. Uh, they would take that man and put him on that rack, they called it, uh, and sometimes it would be three iron pillars uh, and leather straps and they would stretch his arms out and they would, would get it as tight as they could to tighten every muscle and tendon. They would take those leather straps uh, and they would strap him those iron pillars on that rack uh, and then a man called a lictor had in his hand what we know to be the cat of nine tails. Uh, it was called a flagellum. and they, that and the cat of nine tails had in it all types of sharp rock uh, and bone uh, and things uh, and, that would, would cut the flesh uh, and that lictor would take that flagellum and he would begin to peel back the, the, the skin. Uh, listen, he was very skilled in what he was doing. Uh, he knew well uh, how to make that man suffer without making him die. Oftentimes, what they would do is they would give 13 stripes down the right shoulder then 13 stripes on the left shoulders leaving the intricles for the last, uh, peeling back the skin, peeling back the tendons, uh, peeling back the muscles one at a time. The blood was so rich and so gruesome at the, at the scourging post and then they would work their way down into the entrails, uh, into the pancreas and, and the backside of the stomach uh, and the large intestines uh, opening it up just enough uh, so that he could still live uh, and so that he could still carry his cross. Uh, it was a gruesome, gruesome sight. The Bible says that Pilate scourged Jesus the suffering, the pressure. Can you imagine the, pr- the pressure? What it must have felt like without any anesthesia at all to literally pill our Savior, savior to pill him alive. He suffered that. I think about not only the area of suffering, but how about the area of shame? The Bible says in verse number two that he despised the shame. Tonight, I want to be careful in what I would say, but I would simply say this tonight. You think about the shame of nakedness. It's always been shame in the Bible, hasn't it? Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves to try to cover themselves in an innocent state, now in a state of consciousness. Immediately, they went from the state of innocence, like a babe that... A little baby that would be naked would have no conscience of that. It's innocent. And so it doesn't know the shame of nakedness because of its state of innocence. But eventually that babe leaves that state of innocence and goes into the state of consciousness. And all of a sudden it's aware of that. When Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, they left the state of innocence and went into the state of consciousness. And so all of a sudden they the Bible said they knew that they were their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. They ran and they sowed fig leaves together why because they were ashamed just two people on earth but yet they was ashamed and they hid themselves from a holy God when he came walking in the cool of the day why because the holiness of God would make them that much more ashamed nobody would want to be stripped naked exposed before such a mob and can I tell you this is not a mob that bowed their head when Jesus was naked This is a mob that stood there and laughed him, mocked him, said all kinds of vile and cruel things. We would despise that, but we're sinful. How much more would a holy God despise the shame, the pressure? I I cannot imagine the pressure of that shame he went through. And then I think about the area of sinners. Verse number three, for consider him that endured such Contradiction, opposition of sinners against himself. Oh, they were against him. Jesus on the cross, naked, despising the shame, the, the soldiers around him, mocking him, making fun of him, all oh, the pressure. That There's no way that I could describe that pressure tonight except to say this that in the midst of it all, and it's really the key of the text, he did not faint. You see, there's where the writer's really headed to in just a moment. Don't faint under the pressure because Jesus didn't faint under the pressure hanging on a cross naked before an angry mob, suffering with his integrals hanging literally inside out of his body. The Bible said his visage was so marred that he was beyond recognition. Uh, Listen, there was no beauty that we would ever desire him on the cross of Calvary as he hung there. Jesus under such enormous amount of uh, pressure still had his faith, uh, looked beyond the cross uh, uh, through blood-stained and tear-stained eyes. uh, He looked beyond the cross uh, and he saw me and he saw you. That ought to make us all want to bless him tonight. That ought to make us all want to say thank you, Lord, for loving an old sinner like me. I'm not worth shooting, amen. I'm not worth putting in a ditch somewhere. Oh, but the God of eternity, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he left all the splendor. He left the portals of glory, the ivory palaces of the king's eternity. He laid aside his royal robe of righteousness, his robe of glory and honor, left of the the angelic choir and the majesty that had been given to him on high, wrapped himself up in the seed of a seed in a virgin's womb, was born into a sin-cursed world, born to die, and suffered like a criminal on the cross because he loved us, hallelujah, tonight. Oh, what boundless love. What amazing, I love that old song, what amazing love. Jesus, Jesus, had for us and I see not only the area of the pressure that he faced but let me close with this tonight the application about the pressure that he faced notice what the writer says in verse 3 he says in verse 3 for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds verse 3 leaves us with a great struggle Jesus enduring the contradiction of sinners. A great danger that we all could faint and be weary in our minds. But it leaves us with a great comparison. All we have to do is consider Him. When you get under the pressure and you get under the load and you don't know what to do, I'll tell you what to do. It's in this text we've read tonight. Look unto Jesus. Look to Jesus. Consider Him tonight and draw strength that under such pressure our Lord never turned back because He loved you and He loved me. And in this world when we get under pressure you know what we ought to do? We ought to consider Him for He considered us. We ought to never turn back. We ought to draw strength and say if my Savior can walk that lonely mile for me then I'll walk that lonely mile for Him. A lot of people are fainting in this hour aren't they? I think we're living in times that we'll see more of that, but we don't have to focus on it because just, just because others are doesn't mean we have to. I don't believe in living in the day of gloom and doom. I know the world's coming to an end. I know the tribulation is just around the corner. The Antichrist is probably somewheres in this world now and soon to step on the scene. But as old brother Earl Hughes used to be sing all the time, "Will not be here. Thank God, we'll be gone." Amen. Thank God when the tribulation enters, we'll be gone. Amen. But we will be back, won't we? Amen. I'll tell you when we come back, we're not coming back by ourselves. We're coming back riding on a white stallion with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as a mighty army in heaven. Revelation 19 says uh, and he that is faithful and true and uh, the Bible said he's going to judge this world. Amen. He's coming back and thank God we're coming back with it. I say to you tonight, child of God, it's a midweek service, uh, but don't throw in the towel. Finish the week strong and finish it for God. Amen. Don't get up tomorrow with the grubs. Don't just live for Friday. Amen. Live every day. For this is the day which the Lord hath made. I'll be glad and rejoice in it. Do you know what that verse really is? I mean, we use it, but you know that verse is one of the verses, it's one of the psalms that they sung uh, whenever they would come in for the Lord's table. Uh, When they were there, they sung sung three hymns. The Bible says uh, when they got through having that supper, they went out and sung a hymn. They sung that that verse in that psalm I can't remember the psalm it's Psalms 1 something you'll have to find it it's in the 100s 14, 15, 16 something like that but they sung that hymn that was the last of the three hymns the three psalms that they sung they sung one at the beginning of the supper they sung one in the middle of the supper and then they sung one as they went out and they sung that psalm and in that psalm is that verse This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus sung that very verse in Lot of Calvary, knowing the pressure he would face, but he was faithful. I want to say tonight as they come and get us a song ready, I don't want to faint in the day of adversity, do you? I don't want to, and I'll tell you, I don't want to survive. I don't want to just, I don't want to just, be a church or be a pastor or be a Christian for that matter that just says, well, if I could just make it across the finish line. No, the Bible says we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Tonight, we can have as much victory as we want if we're willing to sell out and surrender and pay the price. You can live in victory. You know what I thought about the Spring Jubilee? I got, I got this blessing now, the Spring Jubilee, and I hope it helps every young person, every young adult sitting here. I can look back in my mind's eye and I can remember the days of Faith Baptist camp. And God's blessing the camp. And, and Brother Randy's doing a great job. And God's blessing him. But I, 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 I remember the days, and many, many of you may remember the days. My wife remembers the days when the camp, the August camp meeting, June camp meeting, November camp meeting, when it was packed out. I mean, I'm telling you, when preachers were, I mean, there's four or five hundred preachers there. And, 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 and people were preaching. And I'm talking about, uh, listen, it was just like you could sit in the, in the tabernacle and you could see it start on one end sometimes. God would move through that tabernacle. And I've seen it many times. Uh, it'd start, Brother Laddie, you've seen it. It'd start on one end and like a wave, like you was at a football game. is yes, a wave just come on that corner and it'd come all the way across that. People shouting all across that auditorium and running the aisles. And I'll tell you what it was is a tidal wave, but it's a Holy Ghost tidal wave. And a youth choir would sing. And I think, mean, and on and on, I could just tell stories about that. But you know, when I was a young person, I would hear other men older than me and they would talk about, they'd talk about Percy Ray and they would talk about, they would talk about uh, uh, Camp Zion. And I would sit there as a young person and I thought, well, man, I, I miss that. I wish I'd have been born in the 50s. Not now, Amen. But I said, I wish I'd have been born in the 50s and could have went to Camp Zion and heard Percy Ray. And there was a part of me that was just so envious of that in a good way. I thought, man, I miss that. And I wanted to hear it, but sometimes I thought, I wish they'd quit talking about them days. Because it ain't like that. And they'd say, oh, it's not like that now. But it was. It just wasn't at Myrtle. It was at Faith Baptist Camp. And I'll say to you young people tonight, and I believe God's going to do that again there. But I said young people, I was sitting there on the platform one afternoon, and I think it was Wednesday afternoon, and, and the Lord brought that to my mind. Boy, I mean, there's some folks got to shouting over here, and like a wave, the, the quartet was singing about heaven, you know, and like a wave, it just rolled across that. And my mind went back 25 years ago. And the Holy Ghost said, You know, what you experienced then, they're getting experienced now. It may not be Faith Baptist Camp for you because it wasn't Myrtle, Mississippi for me. But it's Bible Baptist Jubilee for you. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying the God of yesterday. He's the God of today. He's the God of tomorrow. No, we don't see it like we everywhere like it used to be. But thank God God's give you a place. Thank God He's give us all a place. Hey, I'm glad when, hey, churches are dying by the dozen. I'm telling you, I could, tell you sir, I could tell you something right now. I can't because we're, we're on take, you know, and, or on CD and, and, and everything else. But, but I'm going to tell you, uh, sometimes you, you get in a meeting somewhere and I think, man, people just lost their mind. Some of the things they do in church, I, I was in church and somebody, somebody, I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not seven years old. I'm not doing that. They all want to do that, help themselves. I said, well, I'm not a rebel. But I'm not acting a fool in church. Y'all with me? I just ain't acting a fool. Churches are dying. But here on Wednesday night, God's been good to us, hasn't He? We still got a place on the side of the road. I got a good looking group of young people tonight. And we don't have a rock band up here. And we don't have funny lights in the choir. Amen. We did have pizza, thank God. But you know we didn't, you know we didn't bring Bozo the Clown in tonight to get, or, or a monster truck. To get some young people to come to church, Amen. You're here tonight. Just stay here. Don't faint. Out of all of you sitting here tonight, and there's other young people other places sitting through the auditorium tonight. Will you stay with God in old time religion? You'll have to purpose it in your heart if you do that. You have to be so determined that you love the Lord enough that if everybody sitting around, you quits. I'm not quitting. Amen. By the grace of God, I'm staying with God. I'm staying where God put me. I'm gonna tell you something. You'll never be sorry for that. Amen. Amen. Not one day in your life. Miss yes. Esther, are you sorry tonight? Amen. Noel took the baby out, didn't she? She's here. I'd ask her tonight. I've we've seen you groups come and go they don't all make it but you're glad you made it I bet if she was in here tonight she would say the same thing she's glad she made it you be the one that makes it you may mess up but get right get right with God I tell you how to know if you're going to make it if you listen to the counsel of your parents and your pastor you forsake that counsel, you will not make it. Is that right tonight? You will not make it if you forsake that counsel. You better take heed to that. I thank God for every time my preacher got in my face. He got in my face. Not because he wanted to be mean to me. He loved me. He saw enough shipwrecks in life. He... He's throwing a lifeline out of what he was doing. And I thank God that every time he got in my face, I didn't bow up on him. I got right about it. And I thank God for every preacher that ever got. Listen, sitting right over here in this, in this church one Sunday night, Brother Samuel Allen preached one of the hardest sermons I ever heard in my life. And some of you were sitting there. He got in my face that night and blew stuff out I wasn't even doing. He got this close to me and he said, "Son, you know you ain't right with God watching soap operas." I thought I'm the pastor. I thought in any vestry in here thinks I watch soap operas. And he come back and said it again. All that adultery and fornication and everything going, on. and you sit there and watch him like go to somebody else. I don't. I wanted to stand up and say I don't watch them. It's an illustration, but you never know with him, you know. Told him after church. And I said, preacher, what was you? I said, that's the hardest sermon I've ever heard you preach. I hadn't been here six months. He looked at me and he said, you know, I don't think I've preached that hard since the 60s. I said, yeah, and I'm packing this. I'm done. I said, they're, they're voting me. Three people walked out while he preached that night. I watched them walk out the door. I said, I'm, it's over with. <laughs> I really thought, he said, you'll be okay. He said, I'm going to pray for you. Didn't comfort me one bit. I went home at night. I told my wife, I said, well, they don't tell me how many phone calls we're going to get this week. I believed it. I just didn't want him to dump the whole load in one service, <laughs> you know. But you know what? I thank God for he got in my face. I thank God for preachers that cared enough for you. They're not, they're not doing that because they want to be mean to you. There's no joy in that. They're under a burden for you is what that is. And they've been down life's road long enough, long enough to just know that if you don't take heed, you'll shipwreck.